This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org. Or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. And produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 779 for release on Sunday, January 28, 2024. On WaveScan today... The History of 648 Kilohertz in the UK, Part 2. And Part 2 of our report on the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters 2023 Annual Meeting. Last week we began an item on the history of the 648 kilohertz medium wave channel in the UK which has been researched and written up by Radio Caroline Chief Engineer Alan Beach. Today we continue with Ray Robinson reading Allen's article, which was published in both the BBC Engineering Journal Signal and on the Radio Caroline website. Thanks, Jeff. In the late 1970s, the BBC was using 648 kHz on its 500 kilowatt Aspie 1 transmitter at Crober in Sussex, near the south coast of England, for the BBC World Service for Europe. But the transmitter was 40 years old, and coverage from that site into continental Europe was not optimal. So the search was now on for a new site to house a new transmitter and antenna to provide BBC European coverage as the Cold War continued to escalate. It said that Mr Bernard Bale, an engineer in the BBC World Service Schedule and Frequency Management Department, had suggested a certain technically suitable location to the powers that be, as he was aware that the RAF and USAF had vacated an apparently failed over-the-horizon radar facility in eastern England. On the coast of Suffolk, or more precisely a few hundred yards off the coast of Suffolk, is a spit of land known as Orford Ness, used as a secret military area during both world wars and during the 1960s until the mid-1970s to house an experimental joint UK and US missile tracking radar system. Codenamed Cobra Mist, the site was no longer required by the Ministry of Defence and now the BBC, in conjunction with the Foreign Office, made plans to redeploy it. The 1296 kHz 500kW European multi-language service from Crowborough was transferred there first in 1979 using ORF2A and ORF2B transmitters at 250kW each, combined onto a six-tower array producing a bearing of 90 degrees. BBC World Service for Europe on 648 kHz was first broadcast from Orford Ness on a test transmission basis in 1979 using a 1965 vintage 50 kW Continental Electronics 317C transmitter during the hours of daylight into a simple two-mast directional array. 
Compared to Aspie 1, results were so encouraging that the full 24-7 service was established there from September 1982 until March 2011 using ORF1, an AEG Telefunken 600 kilowatt transmitter. The antenna system was an array of five inline towers. This array directed the signal into a southeasterly 110-degree beam from the UK, giving an effective radiated power to the target area of over 3 megawatts. A reserve antenna was provided for the 648 kHz service together with a reserve 180-kilowatt Doherty transmitter, designated ORF3, that had been transferred from Crowborough. This antenna was a new design and consisted of a 200-foot top-loaded omnidirectional half-folded dipole. The top loading was adjusted in both angle and length at commissioning so that the feed point impedance was 50 ohms. This approach negated the need for an antenna tuning unit. Although mostly in English, programs in German and French were also aired at times, particularly in the early 1990s as East and West were united and the Iron Curtain came down. The BBC service on 648 kHz was terminated in March 2011, followed by the 1296 kHz then DRM-only service some months later for a number of reasons. Financial savings, lack of interest in international radio, listener migrations to online and digital listening, and upcoming major capital investment to replace the ageing equipment. At the end of transmissions, the site was operated by Babcock Communications on behalf of the BBC and Foreign and Commonwealth Office. It was during the period that the 648 kHz service was silent and before the operating licence was withdrawn that there was an unfortunate coincidence of fires and system failures at several principal Dutch transmitter sites. They were taken off-air within hours of each other in late July 2011, thus depriving a significant amount of the population of the Netherlands of almost any domestic radio broadcasting. It was deemed to be such an important event that arrangements were put in place between the Dutch and UK governments to broadcast NOS Radio 1, the Dutch equivalent to BBC Radio 4, from Orford Ness using ORF1 to provide instant total coverage to the country. Radio 1 is deemed by the Dutch government to be the National Emergency Communications Channel, in much the same way as Radio 4 is in the UK. These transmissions came to an end on the 22nd of September 2011, when regular services were again restored from within Holland. And so on that date, 648 kHz from Orford Ness finally fell silent, and the licence to use the 648 kHz frequency was withdrawn by Ofcom in 2012. Eventually, Ofcom declared the frequency would be made available for new community radio stations and licence applications were invited by them in late 2016. And then on the 22nd of May 2017, Ofcom announced that Radio Caroline had been offered a licence and a few days later allocated the 648 kHz channel, but the power granted was only 1 kilowatt. Several transmission sites were considered, but after protracted negotiations with the current site owners, it was agreed that Radio Caroline could also broadcast from the same Orford Ness site previously used by the BBC, although they'd have to provide their own transmitter. Thanks to a donation from a supporter in Switzerland, a 2.5 kilowatt solid-state Canadian Nortel ND2.5 transmitter was obtained and installed, feeding what had been the reserve omnidirectional antenna at Orford Ness. 
And so on the 22nd of December 2017, 648 was back on, but now at minus 599 kilowatts compared to before. Here's Johnny Lewis on Radio Caroline opening proceedings at 7am, live from the station's radio ship, the MV Ross Revenge. Just me and We've been waiting a long time for this. Good morning from the Ross Revenge. It's Friday, the 22nd of December, 2017. On air, online, on your mobile. This is Radio Caroline. It's 7 o'clock. Johnny Lewis. Five past seven this very special morning from Radio Caroline. Welcome to you if you're listening on 648 kilohertz. It's lovely to have you here. And if uh, you want to listen on one of our other streams, of course, DAB we are on in various parts of the UK. You can find out more at radiocaroline.co.uk. Also, you can listen to our streams via that uh, website as well. Welcome to Radio Caroline. We're broadcasting live from our ship, the Ross Revenge, here on the River Blackwater in Essex. I'm Johnny Lewis. I'll be with you until nine o'clock. Nine o'clock this morning, we have our top 15. Top 15 today from David Fitzsimmons from Birmingham. Then Ray Clark at 10 o'clock. The official opening, the official opening is at 12 o'clock. And I'll tell you, whatever you're doing, you do not want to miss that. And Kevin Turner on at 2 o'clock this afternoon. That's the way Radio Caroline shapes up today, live from the Ross Revenge. Now this is ABC, When Smokey Sings. Although nominally a clear channel across northwestern Europe, 648 kHz is by no means quiet. Radio Caroline is fortunate in that no other station in the UK has so far been granted permission to use the channel, so even with a modest output of 1 kilowatt, the signal provided Anorak DX-grade reception at some considerable distance from the transmission site during the daytime. There's little chance that any neighbouring countries will also be allocated the channel, which is an added benefit. However, there are stations in Spain, which was well outside of the BBC's directional beam, Slovenia and possibly Bulgaria on this frequency. Spain and Slovenia are both active and put a reasonable signal into the UK at night, though with slow and deep fades. The Bulgarian station may well be defunct. As Slovenia and Bulgaria both lie within the main beam of the former BBC transmission, it's quite possible that transmissions were introduced deliberately during the Cold War to provide nighttime disruption to the BBC service. Other stations to which 648 kHz is allocated are in Libya, also believed to be inactive, and a 2 megawatt station in Saudi Arabia. Although the latter is many miles away, it will at times put a signal into northern Europe. None of these transmissions cause problems within the primary coverage area of Radio Caroline, but they do limit the extent to which the signal can be heard around Europe at night time. In July 2021, Ofcom increased the licensed ERP for Radio Caroline to 4 kilowatts, agreeing to an expansion of the primary coverage area to include the counties of Suffolk, Essex, Kent and East Sussex. To implement this increased power authorization, the station acquired a Harris DX25 transmitter previously installed in the Netherlands, which has been used as the primary transmitter since November 2021. 
Following a successful fundraising campaign in 2022, an array of solar panels was installed at Orford Ness with the capability to provide double the level of power needed for the 648 kHz transmitter. And thus, during daylight hours, the excess power generated is exported back to the grid, with the net result that the cost for electricity to operate the transmitter is now zero. A subsequently requested increase to 16 kilowatts has not yet been granted by Ofcom, but station spokesman Peter Moore said, quote, Other major radio stations, including the BBC, have been ceasing or cutting back their AM radio services due to high energy costs. We have taken the opposite tack by making our own electricity. Indeed, we wish to increase our AM power, installing extra panels if and when a power increase is granted in the future, while helping the planet just a little. Maybe others will follow our example. European listeners who have a pre-1978 radio with stations marked on the dial will find third or BBC R3 marked at 464 metres. 1950-era dials may have this marked as Daventry. This is where one can find Radio Caroline today on 648 kHz, and the station also uses the frequency one weekend each month for its Radio Caroline North service, again relayed live from their radio ship the MV Ross Revenge, which lies at anchor in the middle of the River Blackwater, near Bradwell in Essex. And we thank Alan Beach, Chief Engineer with Radio Caroline, for his research into that very interesting history of the use of 648 kHz in the UK. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. That was Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. Next week, Ray takes a look at the origins of the system of radio station call signs that has been used throughout the world. Why are some stations identified with alphabetic letters only, while others are identified with both letters and numbers? We'll tune in next week to find out. Last week, we presented the first of a report about the 2023 annual meeting of the U.S. National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NASB, which took place on board a cruise ship from Miami to the Bahamas on December 1st to 4th. We left off last week in the middle of a presentation by Gerhard Straub, recently retired from the U.S. Agency for Global Media, who talked about the agency's worldwide relay sites and frequency planning responsibilities. But he also gave some of his personal perspectives about shortwave radio. Some of Gerhard's stories about his engineering travels around the world were very serious. Others were hilarious. He showed slides of Central Asian broadcast sites where he and his crew had to have armed guards with them at all times from landing until they departed. At another site, there was a sign reading, Please stay on the roads, off the road areas, contaminated with landmines. <laughs> he also showed the group a video of the USAGM's relay station in Kuwait, which was produced by Gaines Johnson, the former station manager there. Gerhard also shared some personal observations about international broadcasting, gained from his long years of experience in the field. One of his pearls of wisdom was, stop calling radio, at least digital radio, radio, because funding sources nowadays think of radio as old school, and they think no one's listening and they won't provide money for it. Radio is dead on arrival, said Gerhard. You'll note that there is no reference to broadcasting in the new USAGM name, and IBB, International Broadcasting Bureau, is gone. My comment is really directed at digital radio and finding a way to distance it from traditional analog radio, he said. 
I don't have a good catchy idea for analog radio, but marketing is not my forte. For digital radio, we can call it digital content or digital distribution or digital content without borders or whatever. For the analog side, I think what it is called has to be tailored to the situation. For example, if we're going to provide a broadcast to Ukraine, I would probably describe it as providing news and information without the use of local infrastructure or something like that. Some marketing type can probably come up with something that means radio but doesn't say the name. Gerhard provided an overview of the history of DRM broadcasting by USAGM. Very early DRM test transmissions were done from the IBB Morocco site. The IBB was active in the development of DRM and active in the DRM consortium. By early 2000, DRM equipment and transmissions were in the agency's budget. Later on, the Broadcasting Board of Governors voted to prohibit DRM development or transmissions, and the funding was removed. In 2008, there was an external request to perform DRM experiments, and eventually at the Greenville site, they were allowed to broadcast test transmissions of DRM as long as no funds were spent. This was a cooperative effort with HCJB Engineering. A second round of DRM transmissions took place in 2020 with some new DRM equipment for Radio Marti. COVID interrupted further development activities, and due to operational needs, those transmissions were ended. Gerhard said he has heard the criticism that shortwave is too expensive, even in a crisis situation, but he doesn't buy it. Assume $100 per hour is your incremental cost to increase programming, and it probably wouldn't be that much, he said, and assume you're going to add two hours per day of crisis programming. That's $73,000 per year. Well, during my tenure, Gerhard said, the USAGM budget was around $750 million annually. The two hours of crisis programming would be about 0.01% of the annual budget. The infrastructure exists and the content exists, explained Gerhard. Then there's the argument that there are no shortwave receivers. Gerhard said he did a search for shortwave receivers on Amazon.com, which yielded over 20 pages of results. Not everyone has access to Amazon, he acknowledged, but not everyone has access to the Internet either. That's another reason why shortwave is important. Gerhard said that his local hardware store even had shortwave radios on the shelf. Some folks try to tell us that people do not have shortwave radios in their basements or homes, said Gerhard, yet stories tell us differently. Take Russia, for example. I hear people say that there are no shortwave receivers in Russia, and you can't get them. But there are about 30,000 amateur radio operators in the country, and probably at least twice that many shortwave listeners. They got their receivers somewhere. And military command and control units have shortwave receivers. These may be small percentages of the population, but you just need to pierce the firewall. What rational argument can be made for not using every available asset in the information war, asks Gerhard, just like weapons in a physical war. Moreover, not everyone in the world has Internet access, especially in conflict or rural areas. And even if people have Internet access, they may not have high-speed Internet, which is needed to hear audio programming, and they may not know how to use a VPN or Tor to access blocked Internet websites. Finally, Gerhard Straub said, Power is good. Quality transmissions depend on a high signal-to-noise ratio. 
That even applies to digital broadcasts. Reducing power reduces coverage, reduces audiences, and increases dropouts. All very important points that need to be considered by international broadcasters in the current world climate. Well, yours truly followed Gerhard with a talk about the shortwave audience. I related our efforts on behalf of NASB members WEWN and WRMI to obtain recent shortwave audience survey results from the USAGM. Now, I won't go into a long explanation of this here, as we've already covered this on a previous wave scan. Suffice it to say that it took several months, two interventions by one of our Florida senators in Washington, and a Freedom of Information Act filing to finally get a one-page list of USAGM surveys during the past five years that showed the weekly adult shortwave audience in 25 countries. Nevertheless, the results were very interesting. Weekly adult audiences in the countries surveyed ranged from 0 to 8% of the population, which in some cases amounted to up to 20 million listeners per week in China, for example. So there are definitely people listening to shortwave radio, and it still has a bright future. Well, next up, Steve Palmer of Encompass was scheduled to talk about the 80th anniversary of their Wooferton UK shortwave transmitter site, but in his absence, Andy Baker CEO of NASB member World Christian Broadcasting, gave an overview of their two shortwave stations, KNLS in Alaska and Madagascar World Voice in Africa. In a presentation entitled Introducing the World to Jesus, he showed slides of both stations and explained the latest developments in both locations. Brother Morris Hall, a second lieutenant in World War II, had a dream of covering the globe with the gospel by shortwave radio. That's what eventually led to World Christian Broadcasting, headquartered in Franklin, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. They established KNLS in Anchor Point, Alaska, which is strategically located to cover Russia and China, among other targets. WCB program producers include Rob Scobie in English, Konstantin Chernyshenko in Russian, Ed Ho in Chinese, Edit Udofia with English for Africa, Tony Tadros in Arabic, Romulo Dantefortes in Portuguese, Jose Castillo in Spanish, and Sang Yang and Bill Ramsey in Korean. It's about connecting with listeners around the world, said Andy. World Christian Broadcasting has received listener responses from all over the world, and many of them have become followers of Jesus Christ, including in places like Cuba. Andy showed a picture of a KNLS antenna in Alaska that measures 365 by 385 feet. The station broadcasts eight hours a day in Chinese, five hours each in Russian and English, and two hours in Korean. There are two antennas at KNLS. One covers eastern Russia and China. The other covers China and the Pacific Rim. Madagascar World Voice, which was established years later after a long series of delays caused by the political situation in that country, broadcasts three hours per day in English to Africa, two hours in Russian, Chinese, and English to other areas, five hours in Arabic, and two hours each in Spanish and Portuguese directed to South America. Three curtain antennas are used in Madagascar. One is beamed to Western and Southern Africa and all of South America. Another covers Northeastern Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. The third one reaches Western Russia, Western China, and India. All of the power comes from generators on site 
as there's no other electricity available in that remote area. World Christian Broadcasting has seven websites in different languages. They're on SoundCloud and Facebook, and they have mobile phone apps in Spanish and Portuguese. They have a recording of the entire Bible in Chinese online. A new addition is their website, worldchristian.airtime.pro, where you can listen to the daily broadcasts in all eight languages on your computer. That's worldchristian.airtime.pro. We've just begun this outreach, said Andy, and we already have listeners. We hope to connect with them every day with messages of hope. WCB's chief engineer, Amaro Abenohar, was also in attendance, along with his wife, celebrating their 34th anniversary on the cruise, and he was able to answer technical questions from the audience about their facilities. Amaro is based in Dallas, Texas, and he travels each year to Alaska and Madagascar to do maintenance on KNLS and Madagascar World Voice. Andy stressed that WCB is very much committed to shortwave broadcasting to reach otherwise unreachable people around the world with their Christian message. WCB's programs in all languages are 60-minute magazine-style programs containing both secular and religious content. You were listening to African Pathways Radio Program, a production of World Christian Broadcasting. Tune in to our shortwave daily radio broadcast from the frequency of 11965 kilohertz at 2000 UTC and also in the frequency of 13670 at 1800 UTC. I am Edit Udafia, Senior Producer for Africa. After Andy Baker's presentation about World Christian Broadcasting, it was time for a lunch break. The NESB group retired to the Ladera Dining Room on Deck 5 for more informal conversation and a three-course lunch served by waiters and waitresses from various countries around the world. And we'll continue next week with our report about the 2023 annual meeting of the U.S. National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters. And we end Wavescan today with the famous Cuban song, Guantanamera. Thanks for listening to Wavescan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week on Wayscan, it's Call Signs, Part 1, Mixed Letters and Numbers. More from the NASB 2023 Annual Meeting and our Japan Report, DX Report, from Yukiko Tsuji. Wayscan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR Relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week. Good listening, everyone.
This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr dot org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 